0: All right, first Peter one, I believe it's three hundred eighteen, as we're talking about the Feast of Trumpets, says to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Yahshua the Messiah. So that means that all of us are growing. And the analogy that Yahweh gave me is when, say, a child is Five years old. I guess they start kindergarten at five years old. You don't um, correct them, blast them, chastise them, rebuke them because they don't understand about mathematics or they don't understand fully about how to read or write or spell. You know, they wouldn't be able to understand, say, how to spell encyclopedia unless they were a real brain. Um, But nonetheless, it's the same way with Torah that some of us might be in fifth grade, some of us might be a junior in high school or a senior in college. But we have to make sure that when we come across to others that we're teaching them, witnessing to them, With an understanding that even if they don't get it, even if they don't understand it, that at some point in time, hopefully they will grow in Yah's grace. They will grow in understanding of the feast days or of the Sabbath or of his name or of things that are clean and things that are unclean or of um, having no idols in their house, so on and so forth. So, before we start talking about the Feast of Trumpets, that's just a little reminder that one, I'm given to myself so that we don't come across haughtily or condemningly, because remember, there's no condemnation to those that are in Messiah. And the other thing I want to say about the feast, now this may be a real basic foundational understanding that you may already know or that you may not already know, or it may be revelation or, you know, something else. But the first thing, when you read in Leviticus 23 about the feasts, you will see that all the feasts have a Sabbath connected to it, meaning that we are not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Now we also understand that all the feasts of Yah were agricultural type feasts and the people participating in them were agricultural-type people, ranchers, um, sheep sheepherders, um, so on and so forth. Now, when it said, do not work, to those individuals, in my thinking, you know, I had uncles that had farms, and there was never a day off. You always had to milk the cows. You always had to put feed, grain, water out for the cows, the chickens, or whatever animal. I had one uncle that raised sheep, horses. So I would assume, being I'm not back in biblical days, that in biblical days it was the same thing, that either the night before they put out enough water, but I know the dogs that we've had if I would put off out enough feed for two days, they would eat it in one setting. Now yeah. I don't know I don't know about cats, but I know dogs do that. But I would think that cows, um, sheep, goats, horses probably would follow that same principle. Wouldn't you think that? I would think that. Yeah. So It also remember when Yahshua was rebuking the Pharisees, I think in Luke 13, when he healed on the Sabbath, he said to them, do you not lead your ox to water? So he was implying that even on the Sabbath, that they fed or gave water to their animals. And he was rebuking them because they said to him that he shouldn't have healed on the Sabbath. You can read that in Luke 13. So, I'm saying all this to say this, that first off, we live in a world that is anti-Torah, anti-Messiah, anti-Yah's laws and commandments. We live in a world system that is very pagan, very um, slavery mentality like the children of Israel when they lived and they were, in, in a, they were slaves to Pharaoh and to the people of Egypt. They did not have freedom to do what they needed to do and that was part of why Yah delivered them out from under the oppression of the children of Israel in today's world many people have to work whether it's having cattle or sheep or they have to feed their their pets <clears throat> or they might have to water their plants their vegetation or they might have to give water and food to their horses to their bison, or their chickens, or turkeys. Our society is anti anything that has to do with Yahweh. And when you think about our medical uh, people, our law enforcement people, our fire department people, our military people, most of those will not be able to take a... Sabbath feast day off from work because the system is all anti that. Now, last September, when Linda and I both were had COVID and we were in the hospital, I was very grateful that there was a hospital to go to and that there was a medical staff that was there to treat me. So I'm saying all this to say this, that People might have jobs that their employer cannot or will not allow them to take off. Like people in, in those professions I mentioned, as well as um, retail, you know, the the owner of the business might say, no, I can't let you take off. We're short-staffed already, and if if you take off, we might even have to, to close Um For those people that may have to work on a feast day Sabbath or even on a regular Sabbath, it's important that, first of all, that you've accepted and received that Yahweh's Torah says that the feast days and the Sabbath are forever, And that when you accept that and receive that into your heart, that means you're going to be a person that desires to keep the feasts, to keep all the Sabbaths to the best of your ability. And there are scriptures that talk about loving Yah's law and desiring it From your heart. So that's to those that would have to work on the Sabbath. Or um, on a feast day Sabbath. As long as keeping the, the feast is primarily in your heart. And it is your passion and your desire to keep that feast. I believe that just as the sheep herders and just as Yahshua said to the Pharisees and called them a hypocrite because he said, you lead your, your, I don't remember if it was oxen or sheep or cattle or whatever it was, to water, so much so shouldn't this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, be healed on this Sabbath. In the same way, people that have to work and those that love Yah, love Yahshua, love his Torah, love his feast, they're not looking for excuses to not keep the feast. they've tried everything in their power to keep the feast, and I know some people would say, "Well, just quit well, when you have a family to feed, you know that that's harder said than done or one person i saw on facebook said Well will just say no and i said you own your business that's easy for you to say but come thursday if one of your employees or all your employees come up to you and say i'm not coming in today because i believe it's whatever and i'm gonna take it off you'd probably fire them and so we need to be kind we need to be gracious um, and if someone can't get it off, or maybe they don't have the gumption to, to ask for it off yet, um, we need to be respectful, gracious, and know that they will grow according to Yah's laws and commandments. And that we need to give people, um, just as you would give a five-year-old, Um, You keep teaching them, but without condemning them, without making them feel like they're stupid or an idiot or a loser, we we bring about the truth of Yah's Torah with as much grace and compassion as possible in hopes that they will receive it. Now, there are some people that out and out reject it, out and out deny it, out and out say, I don't need to do that. I've accepted JC and that's of the law and I'm not under the law and I've got a good teaching about being not under the law. Maybe next week we'll get into that. And that's not at all what Paul was saying. When he said about not being under the law, he was speaking to people that were disobedient that we're not keeping Yah's laws and commandments. But we'll go into that at a later time. And when you read that in that context. You will see and that that, that makes sense. But nonetheless. So the feast. All the feast days have these things in common. They are all Sabbaths. Okay. Um, secondly. They are all holy convocations, meaning we should celebrate them as close to the days that we believe that they took place. And from what I understand, um, it will be Monday sundown to Tuesday sundown. Uh, The only reason we don't do it is because we have to work that day, and we just will be totally out of gas by the time we come home. So today will be, quote unquote, a memorial service to Yahweh and honoring and celebrating the Feast of Trumpets. I know it's not perfect, but it's the best we can do at this time. Now the word convocation, we'll, we'll read it in Leviticus 23, that with every feast there. That word convocation means, and it means a gathering or it means a rehearsal. So it's a rehearsal of something that is coming. Now, the spring feast, I'll refer to the first coming of Yahshua. And help me if I miss one, but we have the feast of Passover. Then we have, what's, the, what's after Passover? Uh, okay, well, there's a Feast of Firstfruits. There's a Feast of Passover. There's the Feast of Shavuot, which is Pentecost. In the spring? But I, I'm missing a feast, yes, in the spring. Passover and Unleavened Bread. Unleavened Bread. Unleavened Bread. Are, are one. They're considered one. Yeah, but, okay, so it's Passover... Unleavened bread, first fruits, and then Shavuot. All those were fulfilled the first time Yahshua came. So when we celebrate them now, we are not looking for those to take place. They have already literally taken place, and we are just remembering them as a memorial. And we are continually honoring them and memorializing them and praising Yah for what He did through Yahshua being the Passover Lamb, um, through Yahshua being the unleavened bread of, la- of life, through Yahshua being the first fruit of <coughs> one raised from the dead, and then for the feast of Shavuot, which was the outpouring of Yah's spirit, which also was the time when um, they celebrated when Moses went up to the mountain and received the Torah. So all those things were past, but we were celebrating it as a memorial. And then we come to the fall feast, which the first one, is the Feast of Trumpets. Trumpet means a shout. When you read scriptures about the trumpet, like in Matthew 24, it says that the angel, there was a sound of a trumpet. It doesn't mean necessarily that there was a trumpet, but it sounded like a trumpet. We also read in 1 Thessalonians 4, that when this is talking about uh, there will be a sound of a voice of a trumpet the archangel sounds it and then the Yahshua comes in the clouds of the air so on and so forth again that's referring to the Feast of Trumpets so that uh, that amongst other things is, re- is letting us know that Yahshua's second return is going to be on the Feast of Trumpets. And so the Fall Feast, Trumpets, um, uh, what's right out, uh, Atonement, and um, Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, those three final feasts are us Preparing ourselves in anticipation, and I believe it's more than anticipation now, it's an expectation of when Yahshua is going to return to gather his bride to and to set up his judgments, which is what atonement is about, and then to establish the wedding of the Lamb with the Bride, which is what the Feast of Sukkot is representing and is is about Sukkot is also about remembering that the children of Israel had to live in booths out in the wilderness. You know, that is is actual uh, a fact as well. But there will be a supernatural trumpet which will sound like a trumpet or a ram's horn, Horn. it also, that word trumpet means shout. And when you think of and you study in Joshua either six or seven, when Joshua um, told the children of Israel to walk around Jericho um, once per day for six days, and notice the, that there were seven days in it, Okay, then on the seventh day, they were to walk around it seven times. The priests were the only ones that had a trumpet or a ram's horn. But everybody else, when it was time to blow, when the priest blew the trumpet, and everybody else that was everybody, regular day Joes, everybody else shouted. And there was such an anointing in it that the power of Yahweh literally crushed the walls of Jericho into the earth. It didn't crumble like you blew up a building and there were rocks everywhere, but he it, he literally forced and pushed those walls down into the earth. That was done through the trumpet and the shout. Now, that is what is going to take place to Babylon and to the Babylonian system to sun God pagan worship, their followers, and their priests, and um, the prostitute and the, the, the churches of the prostitute will be literally crushed, destroyed, and no more. They will be removed. But here's another thing that um, I want to get to. So first off, we saw that all the feasts have a Sabbath in it. Secondly, they're they're a rehearsal, a holy gathering. Um, The third thing is that the trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets, has a shout within it, which is supernatural, it also is a trigger to end time events. It, it's what, when the the Feast of Trumpets literally manifests and Yahshua breaks through the clouds, it's going to trigger the judgments. It's going to trigger the other feasts and the other purposes in the feast, where Yahshua brings forth his judgments, and then Yahshua sets up the Millennial Kingdom after that. So um, in 1 Corinthians, let's turn there, I know this is all a lot to gather in, Um If you're making notes, I'm also recording this. This is going to be on YouTube, and it also is going to be on our podcast. If anybody wants the podcast, I'll throw it on Facebook later, and I can send it to you if you don't have a Facebook page, um, or if you're not on Facebook. But in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 51, it's, it says, Behold, I speak a mystery to you. We shall not all fall asleep, but we, all, we shall all be changed in a moment, in the blinking of an eye, at the last trumpet. For a trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we all Shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. okay, now flip over to First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter four verses sixteen and seventeen, if anybody wants to read it. master himself shall come down from heaven with a commanding shout of an archangel's voice and with the trumpet of Yahweh and the dead and Messiah will again rise first. Then we who remain alive will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet with our master in the air and so we will always be with our master. So I mean There's a lot of debate on quote unquote the rapture, but nonetheless, this says something's going to take place, a trumpet's going to sound, and we're going to see Yahshua and we're going to be caught up together with him. Um, Diane, if you want to go ahead and read the next one Matthew 24 and verse 31. Okay, that's fine. Take your time. All right, so again, this is what is going to take place on the Feast of Trumpets. Um, One more verse before we go to Leviticus 23, and that is Psalm 81. And verses 3 through 4. And it says, uh, I'm waiting for Linda to get there. I don't know if everybody, everybody there. All right. It says blow, blow the ram's horn in the new moon on the covered moon on our feast day. So this is referring to the feast of trumpet for this was a statue for Israel, an ordinance of the Elohim of Jacob. So this is, again, referring to um, the Feast of Trumpets. Now the blowing of the shofar or the ram's horn or the, um, the shout of a voice is... Signifying an announcement of the return of Yahshua. It also signifies for people to awaken out of their slumber. So the blowing of the shofar or the shout announces Yahshua's return. It also signifies for people To awaken. So when this literally takes place. People that are not in Messiah. People that were anti-Messiah. Anti-Torah. But yet they saw the witness say through your life. Or they heard about this. But they just rejected it. Figured it was nailed to the tree or whatever. When Yahshua gathers us up. And all of a sudden we are with him and they are left behind, I believe there will be much repentance taking place and much calling upon the name of Yahweh in repentance and then they will just realize that what people have been preaching for years is biblical. Um, The other thing... Um, is that something I just learned about a Hebraic wedding? And do do your in-depth study so you can get this. If not, I can send you. I wrote it down on a piece of paper so that I wouldn't forget it, and I would go over it and over it till it is really deep within me, because most of us know nothing about this, that in a Hebraic wedding, and we're going to see how this connects to the Feast of Trumpets, we're going to see how this connects to Matthew 25, when Yahshua gave the parable of the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins, But a Hebraic wedding in Yahshua's day, a groom would negotiate a price for his bride and then sign a document which is called a ketubah. I I hope I'm saying that right. It's K-E-T-U-B-A-H. It's a... Even today, in a Jewish wedding, in a Hebraic wedding, both parties and the rabbi and the witnesses sign this ketubah. At this point, now this was in Yahshua's day, at this point, the bride is his wife. Now, no ceremony has taken place yet. Let me read it again. In Yahshua's day, a groom would negotiate a price for his bride and sign a ketubah. At that point, she is his wife and they are married. Now, Yahshua came. Yahweh in the flesh came. He negotiated a price for his bride Israel and that price was Him becoming the Passover Lamb and Yahweh's blood flowing out of Yahshua on the stake or on the tree, redeeming Israel from their sin, redeeming all the world from their sin, and if they accept Yahshua, And begin to follow Yahshua and live according to Yahshua's laws and commandments and obey his laws, his ways. Remember John 8.31, he said to the Jews, If you want to be my disciple, you must continue in my commandments and then you'll know the truth and then the truth will set you free. So, he negotiated the price. Okay, then it says, the groom would then return to his father's house to prepare a house for them to live in. Okay, think about John 14, verse 1. Yahshua said that he was going to be leaving them, and he was going to be going to prepare a house A mansion for them. So, they could be with him. Now, when you and I receive Yahshua, and the only way you can accept Yahshua as your master, as your savior, as your deliverer, as your Messiah, is you then accept his laws and commandments. You accept how he says to live. You live a lifestyle following the pattern that he set when he walked on the earth. And remember, the Apostle John said that sin is breaking the law. The Apostle John also said in First John, I believe it's chapter 2, that you cannot say you love Yahshua, And willfully break his commandments. He said, the truth is not in you, and you are a liar. Those are hard words to swallow. But nonetheless, if you are a person that does not accept Yah's Sabbath, Yah's Feast, Yah's Torah, Yah's Instructions, you are in dangerous territory. So, going back, The groom then returns to his father's house. Yahshua returned to heaven. See, it all fits. This is just so awesome to me. And he prepared, and he is preparing a house for you and him to live in. He is also preparing a house here on earth for him to live in, and that is your body, The temple of Yahweh's spirit. Okay. Only when the father... Now this is going back to a Hebraic wedding. Only when the father felt his son was ready would the groom then be sent to get his bride. Same way today. Yahshua said... Only the father knows when his return is. Mm-hmm. Remember Acts chapter 1. Yes. But we can know the season. And we know the season is the fall feast. And he said, the father, when the father felt that he was ready, the groom, now this is talking about a a Hebraic wedding in Yahshua's day, the groom would then be sent by his natural earthly father to get his bride, now check it out, at night. Now what does the scripture say that it will be like a thief in the night? It won't be a thief in the night for you and me. We're his bride. We're expecting him to return, to break through that sky any moment and it literally could take place when we celebrate the Feast of Trumpets here in a few days. Hallelujah. We have gone from anticipation that someday to where we literally expect, because of the signs of the times in which we live, we literally expect any moment. It won't be any moment. He's breaking through that cloud. Hallelujah. Okay, so so then it says that the natural father, when he felt his son was ready, would send the groom to come get his bride, usually at night. Now, listen to this. With his best man in a torch-lit procession. So the best man, and they'd have a bunch of people... In a procession, and it would be they it would have a they would have torch lights because they didn't have if it was at night time it'd be you know dark, but now ask yourself this question: How did the bride know he was coming? Now the bride, okay, she, they signed the ketubah. She knew at this point she was married to the groom. But she lived every day of her life fully anticipating, expecting for her gorgeous groom to come get her. And she was in great expectation, but how would she know when the groom was approaching? I mean, she wasn't going to be, you know, asleep, you know, or out in the field taking care of um the sheep smelling like manure, you know whatever. I remember my uncles when when they would come into the into the house from working in the barn uh, or even when I came in with them, my aunt Susie said, "To the showers with all of you. You will not come in here till you shower and take off those smelly clothes." Anyways, to answer your question, anybody wanna take a guess at how the bride would know uh, i'll give you I'll give you a hint we said we're we're talking about it okay, I'll read it to yeah. Right, exactly. The bride knew her husband was coming, but never knew when. She was always to be ready and to anticipate his coming for her. When the groom came, she knew it was him coming when she heard the shouts and the trumpet ram's horn blasts. So, Matthew 25 makes more sense to me now. The five wise virgins, they were anticipating. They were ready for their bridegroom. The five foolish virgins weren't. They were just going about being part of the world system. They weren't being separated. They weren't living according to Torah. They were compromising, so on and so forth. But the five wise virgins, they were preparing they were listening. They were looking out at the night, looking for the uh, for the lights, looking and listening for any ram's horns or any shouts. And so the feast of trumpets is a parallel to a Hebraic wedding, and others may have much greater understanding and revelation concerning this than I do. But like I said, we're all at different levels. We're all at learning things. And just like next year's Feast of Trumpets, if Yahshua doesn't come this year's, we're going to have greater understanding. And we're going to have a greater walking in the Feast of trumpets and all the feasts. So, yeah, a excuse me. It's like, yeah, this is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it is it is awesome. Now, look in Revelation. I know I said we'd get to Leviticus, and we will. But look in Revelation 19 and verse seven. So when we see in the scriptures the word holy convocation, it means gathering, but it also means a rehearsal. So when we celebrate any feast day, the third thing that is basic, the first was it's a Sabbath. Second, it's a holy gathering. And third, it's a rehearsal. Of what is literally to come. Now the children of Israel until Yeshua came and went to the tree and was crucified. It was a rehearsal. But that no longer is a rehearsal. That's a literal done deal thing that already happened. But the fall feasts are a rehearsal of what is about to come. And you and me are being prepared as Yah's bride. Uh, Someone want to read verse 7? Let us rejoice and let us exult, and we will give glory to Him, because the marriage of the Lamb came, and His wife prepared herself. Okay, there is. a wedding feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb, that is off into the future. But the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, and the Feast of Sukkot has to take place before that takes place. And so let's turn to Leviticus 23, Now the word feast days in the Hebrew I believe it's 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 called Moedim. It's Yahweh's is that correct? Moedim. That's the feasts. Yeah, that's Yahweh's appointed times. Yes. So when you read about the feasts, it's Yahs appointed times, the first four were, were about Yahshua's first coming. And right now, prophetically speaking, I don't know if I said this, but we are between, prophetically speaking, when Yahshua first came and when Yahshua is going to come uh, in the physical sense to set up his kingdom and to gather his bride and to release his judgments. I don't know how all this is going to take place, because when you understand one thing, then you read another scripture, it proposes another set of questions, and so you just keep studying, you just keep learning, you just keep accepting, and you know, it's kind of like, we don't know how, or I don't know how, um, My air conditioner works. I just know if I have electricity, I hit the button, it's going to work. And like my car, I don't really understand how a car works. All I know, I put gas in it, change oil, keep oil in it, turn the ignition on, and boom, if everything's working right, it's going to start. I put it in in R to go backwards and D to go forward, and that's all I need to know. I don't need to know anything else. So, the feasts are Yahweh's appointed times. They are not Jew- the feasts of the Jews. The Scripture says, and uh, maybe Linda can look up one Scripture that says the the feasts, that they are feasts of Yahweh. Or maybe it says it right here in Leviticus chapter twenty-three. It probably does. These are the feasts of Yahweh. What verse? Okay, verse <clears throat> verse 1 says, And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and you say to them, The set feasts of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim as holy gatherings, shall be these. And then it says, These are my appointed feasts. And you can read all these, and you can gather all kinds of information, but just for sake of time, it says, work is to be done six days, and on the seventh day shall be a Sabbath rest, a holy gathering, you shall do no work. So the very first um, Sabbath is kind of a feast day, it's a weekly type of feast. A weekly moedim, a weekly rehearsal, a weekly gathering. Okay, then it says in verse 4, These are appointed times of Yahweh, or His moedim. I believe you spell it M O E D E M. We think, okay, it says, these are appointed times of Yahweh, holy gatherings, you shall proclaim in their appointed seasons. So the first one, verse five, or verse four is Passover, verse five, four and five is Passover and unleavened bread. Verse nine and ten is the first, the feast of first fruits. So that's the third Passover uh, or the first feast. The fourth one is verse fifteen, the feast of weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost. Okay, and now here's something else that's interesting as you study this out, Yahweh gave a name for every feast, except the feast, the fifth feast. And look in verse 23. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, a holy Sabbath shall be to you, a memorial acclamation of the resounding of the trumpets, a holy gathering, you shall do no laborious work and you shall bring a fire offering to Yahweh. Well, we know that Yahshua uh, ended that on the tree, the Levitical priest sacrificial um, offerings, but uh, As I understand it, they will be reinstituted in the millennial reign, according to my understanding and and memory. It then says, you shall do no laborious work. Um, Now look, look in 26, for example. It says, and Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying also, on the 10th of the seventh month, so we celebrate the Feast of Trumpets on the 1st. So that would tell me that 10 days later, it's the Feast of Atonement. He says, On the 10th of the 7th month shall be a day of atonement. So he gives it a name, but in verse 24, it says, In the 7th month, on the first of the month, a holy Sabbath shall be to you. It doesn't say a day shall be called a feast of trumpets, but it says a memorial acclamation of the resounding of the trumpets or a loud voice. Now, if you look Um, if you look in, say, verse um, 6, okay, this is referring to unleavened bread. It says, on the 15th day of this month is the feast of unleavened bread. So he specifically says that this is the feast of unleavened bread. It just says feast of unleavened. And then it says in verse 10. It says I'm giving to you. And have reaped its harvest. And have brought in the omar. Of the first fruits. Of your harvest. So those names are written there. But anyways. It was just interesting to me. To see that. They didn't have, for the Feast of Trumpets, it doesn't call it a Day of Trumpets or the Feast of Trumpets. It says a memorial, and there, there has to be a reason for that. Could that reason be is that it's an announcement of the return of Yahshua? To set up his kingdom on the earth, only time will tell. Look in um, to continue in that about what I was talking about about the feast days names on the on the seventh feast, which is the feast of Sukkot, feast of Booths, feast of Tabernacles. Verse thirty-four, it says in the fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be a feast of Booths seven days to Yahweh. So it tells you that it's seven days long. It gives it a specific name. And so, and then it says, on the eighth day, you shall ho- have a holy gathering. So it tells you here that the feast of Sukkot is actually eight days long. And... Um, If we lived in a perfect world, we would all be able to take and celebrate these feasts as a Sabbath like Yah intended. But now if you go, and I'm going to begin to close here to Exodus. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Exodus 6. Oh, uh, well that, maybe I got the wrong verse. Oh, I'm in, I was in the wrong chapter. Yeah, it's Exodus 6, and verse 6. It says, therefore say to the sons of Israel, I am Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the burdens or the bondages of Egypt, and I will deliver you from their slavery, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments, and I will take you for myself for a people, and I'll be for you a Elohim, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your Elohim, the one bringing, bringing you out from under the bondages of Egypt. I try to read that daily to remind myself that even though we are living in a dark, fallen world, that has that this world system is pagan from the get-go, we are slaves, some great in a greater realm than others, but when you work for Someone They are your master, and they call the shots. Mm-hmm. And you are a slave in this system. In the same way, we are a slave to the governments of this world. If they were to say, even though you paid in to like Social Security and all that, you're not getting another dime. You ain't getting another dime. So we are slaves to this system in some way, shape, fashion, or form. But Yahweh promises that just as He delivered the children of Israel and He redeemed them out of that slavery and He redeemed them with outstretched arms and with great judgments, He's going to redeem you and I out of this slavery mentality of this world system. And even though We may have to celebrate the feast only partially obeying it from our hearts because in the natural, those that are masters over us, so to speak, are um, not allowing us to be able to take Yah's feasts and celebrate them the way Yah says. If we do his feasts the way that Yah says to do them, we will have three to four weeks off a year of work. And most people, even if they get a vacation, if they're if they're blessed, they get two weeks. If not, I know all locksmiths I worked for only offered one, and this locksmith I worked for now, and one I worked for in, in Louisville, Kentucky... They gave us two. Now, Linda works at a place they get about four weeks off once they hit five years, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But nonetheless, it is still a slave system. Uh, They can cut off your provision. Um, If they get angry with you, fire you for no reason. And then you are stuck. But Yahweh always does make a way where there seems to be no way. So do not fear this. My point is, you and I are going to be delivered from this world system, from this pagan system, that even if we can't keep the feast the way it is intended from our hearts, we're going to keep them to the best of our ability. And do not let anyone condemn you. Do not let anyone um, make fun of you the way you keep the Sabbath. Colossians um, re- Paul was saying that, don't let anybody condemn you, that you don't eat certain foods, or that you keep the Sabbath, or that you keep the feast. Don't let them condemn you. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, Yah's going to deliver us. Now, He may deliver us, give us all our own businesses. He may deliver us and, and, and supernaturally provide for us, like Yahshua was provided for when they took the fish, the gold coin out of the fish's mouth, he will make a way um i'm about to i'm gonna have to sign off on the on the uh on the um webcast that I'm doing so everybody else hang on while I pray and sign off with those listening. Through the podcast, Father, we just pray for those listening. We pray that you would bless them, make your face shine upon them, that you would give them grace and peace. Anybody under any condemnation, I rebuke it, I bind it, I destroy it. And Father, I thank you for making a way for them, delivering them out of this pagan, un, un, anti-Yahweh system, and that they would keep your feasts and keep your name, and keep your Sabbaths to the best of, your, of their ability, and that you would make a way for them, that you would bless them in the power of your name. And we pray increase and multiplication upon their lives in their understanding of Torah and in every aspect of their life in the power of your name, Father. Shalom, shalom.